This is The Guardian. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. If I said, imagine a prehistoric animal, what comes to mind? A T-Rex with tiny arms and big teeth? A huge, lumbering brontosaurus. Pterodactyls gliding ominously through the skies. Well, you'd be right. But it's only part of the picture. If you looked closely, you might see some small mammals hiding in the shadows. In fact, the history of mammals goes back millions and millions of years before that. Our ancestors made it through all kinds of evolutionary twists and near-apocalyptical catastrophes to bring us here to today. But now, one mammal is wiping out the others more successfully than ever before. I'm talking about us. So today we're going to be delving into the weird and wonderful history of mammals and asking what it could tell us about what's coming next. From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Nicola Davis, as The Guardian's science correspondent, you recently went up to Edinburgh to speak to a paleontologist, Professor Steve Brussat, about his new book, The Rise and Reign of Mammals. And we'll be hearing from Steve throughout this episode, but before we get into mammals' successful route through evolution, let's go back to basics. What is a mammal and is there a definition that can tell us what the first real mammal was? We tend to think of mammals as hairy, warm-blooded vertebrates that nurse their young with milk, have big brains, a host of different teeth. Uh, most of them give birth to live young, right? That's what you and I would think of when we talk about a mammal. Of course, not all of those things came at the same time. So where do you draw the line in the fossil record between 
this was a mammal, this was actually something that came before, this was a mammal ancestor. Now, traditionally, it was drawn at the point where it was like a new type of jaw hinge cropped up. But a more modern approach uses analyses of the mammal family tree. And there you draw the line really at the most recent common ancestor of the different types of mammal that were around. So the egg-laying monotremes, the marsupials like kangaroos and placental mammals like us. And if you look back where they had their last common ancestor, that kind of gives you a good cutoff point. So going back through history, there's maybe some grey area for when mammals began, but I'd like you to take me back even further to the proto-mammals, when we started the rumblings of mammals in the evolutionary tree. What were they like? I mean, how much resemblance do they really have to the mammals of today? Well, that's fascinating, because actually one of the things that really surprised me when I was talking to Steve and I was looking at some of these fossils as well that he showed me was just how far back the mammal family tree goes. So there's always this idea that mammals turned up after the dinosaurs 66 million years ago and suddenly, boom, there are mammals. But actually, tree mammals were around for longer and their ancestors, the ones that gave rise to mammals, you can go back 325 million years. So you basically had a population of these kind of like lizardy-like creatures. They weren't lizards, I should say, before anybody gets upset with me. <laughs> if you were to see one, you'd probably think it was some sort of lizard. And at some point, two populations of these creatures became separated. And as a result, you ended up with one line giving rise to dinosaurs, crocodiles, lizards, snakes, that sort of line. And then you had the other population, which gave rise to mammals. I mean, I asked Steve to tell us a bit about what that might have looked like, a bit more detail. We can predict that it would have been pretty small. It would have been something you could hold in your hands. It would have been something that would have been covered in scales. It would have been cold-blooded. It would have had a pretty small brain. It would have had rudimentary senses. Its arms and legs would have splayed out sideways, so it would have walked very slowly and awkwardly, kind of like a lizard today. Probably would have been green or brown or pretty drab-colored. One of the really surprising things that I found about this history of mammals that you've been describing is that split means that mammals and dinosaurs existed together at the same time on Earth. Because when we see any kind of media at all, Jurassic Park, there's no mammals to be found. You don't see them in the background. So the dinosaurs were the dominant animals then. But what do we know about the mammals that were around with them? They were kind of in the shadows. They they were not front and centre. So when we think about the age of the dinosaurs, we think about these enormous stomping beasts, huge claws, big teeth, blood and carnage. Everything's very big. Everything's very dramatic. Everything's pretty scary. If you look at what was happening with mammals at the time, they're small. So dinosaurs went big and mammals went small. Part of that might have been because dinosaurs took up those big niches. But as Steve pointed out, in a way... Mammals being small kept dinosaurs big, but they were doing quite cool stuff. They were really doing all sorts of different things. Steve was, was telling me about this. It's quite astonishing the array of different characteristics that these creatures had at the time. There was never a mammal that was bigger than a badger, as far as we know, that ever lived alongside a dinosaur. But they really took advantage of those small-bodied niches. There were mammals that were good runners, there were mammals that were scurriers, mammals that were climbers, mammals that were diggers, mammals that could swim. You had, you know, little mammals with like beaver tails that could paddle. You had mammals that had membranes of skin. 
wings that they used to glide. All of this was happening as mammals were living alongside the dinosaurs. Right, so we have this amazing array of small mammals, but then the infamous asteroid changes everything. How come we lost the dinosaurs, but the mammals made it through? So one thing to remember here is that when this massive space rock crashed into the Earth's crust, almost instantly everything within sort of a thousand kilometers of ground zero was vaporized. So this thing alone was basically a harbinger of doom. But then also there was a, a much more long lasting fallout. So you had big changes to the climate, a nuclear winter followed by a lot of global warming. You had volcanoes suddenly going off, which really, really tough environments for, for creatures to survive in. And in fact, you know, when we talk about the dinosaurs going extinct, I mean, an awful lot of mammal species also went extinct. Some estimates suggest around 90%. But also, you know, not all dinosaurs were wiped out. Remember, the ancestors of birds, they survived. Uh, but if you think about mammals, in some ways, the things that had kept them in the shadows during the reign of the dinosaurs were in their favour when this catastrophe struck, so they were small, they had a very flexible diet, so they could adapt to what was available, they could burrow, so they could hide in difficult times. Also, you know, as well as those factors, you've also got, you know, mammals who could reproduce and mature quite quickly. So you can create new generations fairly rapidly. They were quite nimble in that sense. And then, finally, the Earth's ecosystem begins to settle down, and they've had this advantage, but it's at this point where they can really flourish. So tell me about some of the creatures that paleontologists have found after this mass extinction period and in the next kind of ecological period of the Earth. After the asteroid, after sort of the chaos has started to subside, yeah, I mean, mammals mammals go wild. I mean, mammals really... And there's all sorts of really weird creatures. And this is one of the things I absolutely love. So one of the groups of animals that knocked my socks off really was the calicathirs and you know I was looking at an image of one called uh, Anisodon it's a bit like a bear or a sloth or, or something like that and then it had a head like a horse and then it had these huge forearms with clawed hands and it walked like on, almost like on its knuckles like a gorilla it was unbelievable that particular creature would have would have snuffed it before humans arose but closely related species so within the same group of animals or calicathirs they would have been around and met our human ancestors and I mean, Steve is an absolute mine of information on these animals. And like, he's full of, of great descriptions about what these things would have looked like. You had elephants with uh, tusks that were long and straight. You had elephants with short little tusks. You had elephants with tusks that turned downwards that kind of looked like a bottle opener. There were once rhinos that had no horns, but were the size of, of dinosaurs. You know, these were the biggest mammals that have ever lived on land, probably 15 to 20 tons. But you had deer living in Europe with antlers bigger than a dinner table. Probably the most ostentatious, gaudy, ridiculous mammals that have ever lived. It's like, you know, something that Elton John would put on, on his head on stage. Uh, in, in North America, you had beavers that were, you know, getting to be the size of like a, a small cow. <laughs> you can imagine that. In South America, you had armadillos the size of Volkswagens. You had sloths that lived on the ground that were over 10 feet tall, they could dunk a basketball <laughs> if they wanted to. And there are so many other types of megafauna and they lived so recently. 
Nicola, where we've left off in the history of mammals, they've been doing pretty well for a while, despite big challenges like ice ages. But then we get to a point where humans are really starting to have an impact. We're hunting, we're farming, we're changing the land, and we're also totally changing the fortunes of mammals. And fast forward to today, there's studies that suggest that 60% of all mammals on Earth are livestock and just 4% are wild. Now we've got the climate crisis on top of that, which is putting even more pressure on those that are left. Is this something that you and Steve spoke about? We did talk about this because, you know, obviously we are undergoing a a, significant climate change. We're in the grip of what's been called the sixth mass extinction. You know, we're losing species. Things are not looking good for the natural world. Um, And I did say to him, "Would, would other mammals be better off without us? And, you know, the answer was, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> and it's, it's true. So um, actually, do you know what? Let's just hear it from Steve himself. Climate, especially in environments, are, are changing very quickly today. I mean, temperature is really going up fast. And there's also just huge changes in land use. There's a lot of deforestation and environments are, are shifting very quickly. Now, these things have happened before, but two things set apart what's happening today. First of all is the cause. You know, back at the end of the Permian and at other times, it's mostly been volcanoes, big volcanoes that have erupted that have spewed greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. The other difference is the pace that's happening. Even at the end of the Permian, the greatest dying in Earth history, these climate changes, you know, an increase in temperature, this took tens of thousands of years, it seems. Now we're doing this on the scale of centuries. And that, to me, is the frightening thing. So that really does, you know, beg the question, what's, what's going to happen? I mean, what has already happened so far is about 350 species of mammals that we know of have died out since humans started keeping records. Already, there are lots of species of mammals that are not surviving this time period. We may lose, we will probably lose many, many more. Now, looking back at some of the bizarre creatures that came through some of the other mass extinction events, I mean, what could populations look like in the future, at the other end of this kind of mass extinction event? I think that's a fascinating question. That it's, I feel a bit like it's crystal ball gazing, really, because... We can look at what might immediately survive, but then you can also look at what might come after. And I think the latter is really fun because it could be all sorts of things. When you look at what happened after the the asteroid and after the dust settled after that, I mean, who would have thought that some of those creatures turned up? I mean, evolution doesn't work with an end in mind. (laughs) Who knows what the future holds for mammals? I mean, the ones that make it through, and let's hope that's as many as possible. Evolution continues and they won't be the full stop on the mammal family tree. So I wish I could project myself into the future and see what kind of crazy creatures crop up because if the past is anything to go by, my goodness, there'll be some bizarre forms out there. Nicola, it's been absolutely fascinating delving into the deep history of mammals with you. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me, Maddie. A big thanks to both Nicola Davis and Steve Brassat. We've put links to Nicola's piece as well as to Steve's book, The Rise and Reign of the Mammals, on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeline Finley. The sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producer was Isabel Rugol. 
I'll be back on Thursday while my co-host Ian Sample takes a well-earned break. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.